0: Hello and welcome into the Emergency F podcast. I'm Eric Lozemba. Today, I'm proud to be joined by Jennifer Owens, President and CEO of the Arlington Community Foundation. Prior to her cu- current position, she was VP and Chief Development Officer of the Central New York Community Foundation. Welcome in, Jen.
1: Hey, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I I really um I, I think your perspective would be really great because you assumed the position of president and CEO of Arlington back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, just at the very end of, of 2018. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I think it's I think our listeners will love to hear about like how it's going for you, what maybe you might have been excited to learn before you actually took the position. But first of all, I kind of want to start out with um. Are you listening to anything, a particular podcast, uh, reading anything, any good books lately or watching anything on TV that you're particularly excited to share with people?
1: Yes, I'm doing all of the above, but one thing that's um, sticking out right now, well, first of all, I'm a real true crime person, so I listen to all the podcasts about true crime that there are, so feel free to hit me up, anybody who's a big true crime person, Um, but I have found that during the pandemic, it's my attention span has been very limited for actually reading a physical book, so I've been doing more um, books on tape, and one of the books I'm reading right now that I think I would highly recommend is called Thinking in Bets, making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts. And it's by a woman named Annie Duke, who was a former world series of poker champion. And uh, it's just really good. It, it, Promised me that it was going to make me more confident, calm, compassionate, and successful in the long run, and so um, I'm still waiting for all of those outcomes to come from listening to this book. But it's it's a really good book, and I highly recommend it.
0: It's oh, fantastic. So, is there a, an element or a particular lesson that you really appreciated in the book? And I'm sorry to kind of catch you off guard sure. here, but is there oh, something that's there fun. you want to share?
1: Yeah, I think the the thing that's really sticking with me is you know the, this concept that you can make really good decisions and not get a good outcome, and you can make a really bad decision and get a perfectly wonderful outcome. Um, And I think a lot of us, especially, you know, as we ascend to leadership roles, we sort of think that if there's a bad outcome, it's because we made a bad decision. And this um, book kind of helps to have it, you look at things more as you want to replace and make the goal really more about making sure that you're accurately assessing the situation and not making errors there, recognizing that the outcome is going to be whatever the outcome is and that some of that's just luck.
0: Yeah. It is. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? Now, yep. and as far as watching or uh, or books or anything else, I know you talked about audiobooks, but is there a yep. podcast or something you might be listening to? You said crime. Is
1: yeah. So I listen. Um, I I think uh, one of the. Um, one of the, there's a couple of podcasts that I really like that are sort of first person narratives. And I think it's especially part of, you know, what I'm trying to do just to better understand other perspectives. You know, we've all been trying over time to, you know, get a better sense of how things are from perspectives that go beyond our own, whether it's our, you know, race, our gender or socioeconomic status. And so there's a couple of sort of first person that I listen to. One is, is this is actually happening and it's first person narratives of people in situations that we all sort of hope never to find ourselves in, but it it kind of goes through their thought process. And that's one that, um, that I really would highly recommend.
0: Awesome. So let's get back to Arlington community foundation and your passion. Um, what are, what are kind of the the programs and projects you're, you're most proud of right now? Is there something you're working on or have been working on for the last few years that you really want to let listeners know about?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, you mentioned when I first came to the Community Foundation was about, I had about a year under my belt when the pandemic hit. Um, And one of the areas that this Community Foundation had been involved with for a long time is economic mobility initiative. So Arlington, Virginia is an exceptionally expensive place to live. Um, it's also a very small community. It's a county of about a quarter million people that is only six miles by four miles. So we're a very tight geography, very dense area. And we push people out. You know, it's been, you know, kind of the corollary community is always uh, San Francisco. You know, we push people out because of affordability challenges. And the pandemic really put that even in sharper focus, I think. And we Um, have two initiatives that are sort of around keeping people from being displaced from our community. One is um, a Kresge-funded a project that we have called Shared Prosperity, and that's really about looking at the factors that cause displacement and trying to get new people to the table to deal with those issues, and that includes the corporate community, our better relationships with our government to really uh, work on things like affordable housing, access to affordable childcare, workforce development kind of holistically, but bringing new people to the table so it's not sort of the same old, same old characters, and that's, well, that's, awesome. that's one. Okay.
0: Yeah. And what's uh, in, in shared prosperity? How long has it been going on?
1: So um, Kresge has had shared prosperity partner cities around the country. There may be listeners in other communities, um, Memphis, Kansas City, Chicago, um, who are also part of this shared prosperity network. And it's really an an opportunity for all of us to look in our own communities at what's causing displacement or lack of economic inclusion for traditionally marginalized people and ways that we can combat and change some of those those factors. And so it may look different in, in different communities, but we're all sort of under that same, you know, uh, information sharing network. And so we've been doing it since 2019, but we were not the first city.
0: Okay. And do you know how many uh, offhand, how many cities are involved? There
1: were about a dozen. I don't know if that holds true, but it's a, it's about a dozen.
0: Okay. And what, what particularly excites you about that work? What do you, what are you seeing as an outcome or what is your foundation seeing as an outcome? Do you think?
1: Sure. Well, one of the, programs that was kind of the second one I thought I would share about is our guaranteed income pilot that we Mm -hmm. have going here in Arlington, which was an offshoot of all of this. I think what most excites me is that we really pushed to make sure that this wasn't going to be a situation where a national funder came in and had us re-ask our community again, what it wanted or what it needed. Um, Because we have, you know, there, like so many communities, we have exhaustive amounts of information, um, both, uh, you know, well researched and just from our own lived experience in our community of what it takes to be successful. And we know that, you know, what we lack is affordable housing. We know what we lack is money in the hands of people who need money. So we don't want to spend time asking again and reassessing. We want to get to action. So what I like about it is that it's action oriented and it's oriented toward doing something about a problem that's well documented versus continuing to talk about a problem that's well documented.
0: That's awesome. And then, as far as the guaranteed income program, can you describe that a little bit more, too? I think that's probably going to uh, be of interest for a lot of people. That's really yeah.
1: I, there are you know more than a hundred pilots going around on around the country. And I don't know how many, I'm not aware of any other community foundations that are doing it directly. We are actually the ones, our community foundation is the ones that are handing out the debit cards to the participant. You know, the person, there's a person on our staff who onboards families into the program so ours is a pretty tightly designed program and in collaboration with Arlington County and our county is a tremendous partner to our Community Foundation, I I wish for every Community Foundation, a, a relationship like we have with our county government, there is no smaller jurisdiction underneath our county so we are just a county. And they helped us to identify a population that we could really, we felt like we could really make measurable um, gains with during a guaranteed income pilot. So, about 200 families in our community get $500 a month for 18 months. And we picked them because they get local Arlington County housing grants. So, almost all of the participants get housing grants. That means they're not paying too much. Than, more than they should for their housing already, which would be normally where a guaranteed income amount of money would go in a community like ours. They have children in the household because that's a prerequisite to getting um, a, a housing grant here. They also... Um, are or at least were before the pandemic working households. So there's you know they're already employed. And so what we're seeing is that this is a really good group to um, make the most of the time that they have with the guar- with the guaranteed income boost. And we have a waiver from our state that makes this protected from the benefits cliff. so people don't lose their benefits. If they're a part of our pilot, there are other public benefits that they would receive.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I have to commend you for getting that done and having that waiver exist. So it sounds like you do have a great relationship um, with government officials and such. So I wanted to ask you, though, what did you decide kind of early on that you're going to do this yourselves in house? Or did you consider a partnership with some other organization prior to that?
1: we considered a partnership but because of the population didn't naturally reside within any one other nonprofit besides ours and the fact that we were really trying to keep this as lean and mean from a budgetary perspective as possible so the fewer layers of you know, engagement that we had. So our, we have a partnership directly with Uzio, which is a part of a MasterCard where we do the debit cards um, and they handle that side of it. So they are the ones that if someone has a problem with their debit card or something they can go to, but um, you know, what we really decided is the nonprofits are stretched really, really thin. If we can get the, you know, the money to hire the person that's going to do this onboarding you know we have you know we know that the people in this pilot are served by a number of other organizations but to not have those organizations have to take on any of the administrative burden we felt like was even more additive because what we're hearing from our nonprofits is they are they are stretched thin
0: Yeah. And and I think probably likewise, like your nonprofits that I was just talking with somebody today about just the idea of finding employees is really tough, too. Yeah. So in this environment, it's been really tough. So what um, what are some of the learning lessons of the program that you're you're finding? I mean, are there some kind of the great, amazing things that have happened? Have you heard anecdotally or do you have data Mm -hmm. on that yet or is that too premature?
1: Um, it's it's too premature, and when my vice president for programs hears this, she's going to say don't don't say anything about outcomes yet. Um, but we're about six months in to our first group of the cohort, so we enrolled people in cohorts. So the first group is getting to their six month time period, and we are doing a survey evaluation with our comparison group and the um, and the treatment group every six months. And so you know what we're hearing definitely in the onboarding is you know what a blessing this is for families. So obviously on the... The one-on-one, what it's doing for the people who are enrolled, it's amazing, and what we're hearing about, you know, our our engagement in the community of practice that's at the national level through the Economic Security Project is that our data will be paired with data, data or partnered with data from around the country, including Mayors for Guaranteed Income and a number of other, um, you know, the from from the Stockton all the way to the East Coast, um, we're we're seeing that that is you know, part of what's going to help us on the advocacy side as we look to what comes after these pilots. The point is not to keep doing this, but to change public policy, um, you know, with things like the, you know, the child tax credit.
0: Absolutely. And you probably spoke to this, but how are the people qualified again? You said that it was they had to have children. In the household, yeah, so they, correct?
1: they're they're getting so Arlington County, unlike many other jurisdictions, has a locally controlled housing grant program with local dollars, and so that means that you know, if we're not using, you know, HUD or federal dollars that keeps, it allows us to better protect the the um, ability for people who get this to continue getting their housing grant, which we would not be able to guarantee if they were getting something like Section 8 housing. So this gave us, and, it, and it's a pool that of people that are known in the system in terms of getting access to, you know, who, who are their trusted points of contact within the nonprofits and within the county? Because, you know, it, we, wouldn't, we all be suspect if one day a letter showed up in our mailbox promising us an extra $500 a month, no strings attached for 18 months, just, you know, just call this number and we'll be all set. I mean, it, it does sound, um, you know, fairly fantastical.
0: Good to be true. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, remind our listeners too. how many families do you look at being enrolled, like what's the goal, or what do you have right yeah. now, and what's the overall goal?
1: So we're at 160 enrolled now of the 200 that we're working to do. So we're in the final fundraising stages. This is fully privately funded. So wow. some communities are using public dollars for these. This pilot in Virginia, there are certain states where the where the um, state law does not allow for public dollars to be in a benefits protected program like this, and so. To protect the benefits, it has to be fully privately funded. So it's about a $2 million budget overall for the whole um, pilot with $1.8 million of that being just the $9,000 that each of the 200 families will receive.
0: that's fantastic. I just want to commend you on that work. That is amazing. I mean, it's one of the passions of mine. So I just really think that a lot of our listeners will be really interested in learning more. And I suspect maybe your email might be inundated. So hopefully that won't be a problem. (laughs) Bring it on. If there's one thing about
1: this field, Eric, that we know, it's that (laughs) we we are obligated to share when asked because we are definitely going to be on the asking end of things.
0: (laughs) That is true. And I think what's really cool and really the intention of this podcast is just to kind of share some of the learning outside of those networking times. Um, So did you have to hire somebody internally or did you already have that person? This was just an add-on to that. Position. No, we
1: hired a program. So um, the Kresge Foundation gave us our administrative grant to cover the um, hard administrative costs. So yeah. the two hundred thousand dollars is, you know, most of that is a two-year position that we had to hire. That's a bilingual program advocate who is the one who you call when you get that letter that says, and if you don't respond to the letter, she reaches out. So um, that's a position that that we hired as a as a full time but time limited position and that's the lion's share of the of the administrative
0: budget finally uh the donor reaction board reaction just curious like your constituency what what was the reaction to to this program
1: yeah we've had a really positive reaction i mean this i think guaranteed income is a concept that doesn't that knows no sort of political boundaries because if you play out guaranteed income all the way to its end i mean for some people it's the idea of sort of a redistribution of wealth and a writing of historical um you know marginalization or you know reasons that people have been worked into the position of needing this guaranteed income. But from a more, you know, kind of traditionally conservative point of view, it's a way to say we can put all of this around, um, you know, giving people, you know, food stamps and housing thing. But if we just, if we trust people and say, it's about personal choice, here's this money, you know what to do with it, go do the right thing. You know, if you, if that works and we can play that forward, all of these expensive public benefits programs that we have, though they're not going to be, you know, put out of business anytime soon, um, it is a much more efficient way to help people to say, you're someone who needs money and here's money, period, the end.
0: Exactly. And it sounds like there is a short-term consideration for this program. You're, You're saying you don't see this as maybe going on Forever, you would hope that maybe policy catches up to this. Is that correct or did I right. misunderstand yeah. that?
1: And you know, it's it kind of gets to the point of what a, a small community foundation can do in general. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, came from a much larger community foundation here to Arlington. Um, you know, we're in we're at about, I didn't look at the market today, but we're in the you know, mid thirties of asset size, which is um, bigger than when I got here, but certainly, you know not as big as as some of the the big guys. So we really see our role in this community to try things, to try new ideas, prove concepts, and then help them to either be picked up um, by you know philanthropy writ large in our community or by advocating and working on policy change that helps to um, extend the the learnings and to extend you know the benefits that we see from things that we try.
0: I love that philosophy. I love the fact that you're looking to do something that's totally different, and you may you may not succeed in that effort, but right. at least it's something new and it's something bold. Right. Uh, kind of like getting back to your thinking in bets, you know, your yep. that book you were talking about. So that's kind of cool. Um, so switching gears, yep, became CEO back in 2018. Is there yep. something you thought about? Gosh, you know, what would I have liked to know um, that I didn't know? or I Mm -hmm. knew now, what, what sort of reflection do you have there?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. And my answer to it has, has changed over time because I I've been in this field for, you know, more than 20 years now. And so I get asked it by my, you know, colleagues from other lives who, uh, you know, wonder, wonder what it's like, but I think it's, you know, how to be comfortable, sort of stepping into the abyss. I think when you're, when you're not where the buck stops, it's easier to, you know, push for change and, you know, make, you know, come up with new ideas of the way things should be done. Um, But I I definitely think it's that feeling of the the weight of the decision being on, on your shoulders and how to be kind of comfortable having the buck stop here. Um, And so it just, it definitely takes, you know, a little bit more. I think that's another reason I'm, you know, reading slash listening to thinking in bets is just how to get more comfortable with doing the best you can with the information you have at the time. Um, But not getting, you know, paralyzed to make a decision because we all in our communities, our communities require us and and need us to be innovative and, and not shy.
0: That's uh, awesome advice. So what other advice do you think for somebody who really wants to be like a CEO or really wants to be the head of an organization, be it a community foundation or any nonprofit organization, what would you suggest or recommend?
1: Sure. Um, For what I didn't realize I've been doing for my more than, I guess, 25 years now in, in philanthropy in total, 20 in community foundations is to be a real sponge. So I started out as a program officer. I was a grants manager, a program officer, a uh, you know, head of kind of philanthropic services, and then in, in moving into development. And I think along the way, just to be a sponge as much as you can. When there's an opportunity to do something cross department within your community foundation, jump on it. Um, and, you know, I spent, you know, there's a traditional kind of hug between development folks and finance folks. There's always like a healthy tension between the two. And I took every opportunity I could to spend time with our finance team, really understanding the finances and the perspective they brought to the community foundation and understanding the perspectives of different people within the organization really helped me to come into this role better prepared for the overall picture of the community foundation.
0: Uh, uh, I, I uh, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. So uh, as far as community foundation leaders or those who are thought leaders or others, um, what do you think they should plug in? I mean, there are particular places that you go, gosh, this is where I go for my knowledge or this is where I go for uh, my camaraderie or networking. Or how would you suggest that people get plugged in or, or get involved?
1: Yeah, I think um you know, there's a lot of resources. I listened to the episode that Joanne Cohn was on and she obviously hit a lot of the big ones. 2164, I cannot highly recommend enough that organization as a place to really get both some networking within the field, but also tangentially related um, fields. And it really helps, I think, to, to round out our knowledge because it's rarely that we're asked to be, you know, subject matter experts in a program specific thing but we're asked to be really good at facilitating and you know working across different groups um so my recommendation i guess in that vein is in your own community go places that you don't usually go and this is part of my equity uh work but it's also just how i feel that you get a better perspective on your community that goes beyond you know go to a church service or a you know a house of worship that wouldn't be a religion that you would normally engage with go to a civic association meeting that isn't the neighborhood that you live in you know really kind of push yourself to get out into different places and maybe now post pandemic slash, you know, working our way out of the pandemic, hopefully um, that will be more possible, but I think it's just important to be places you wouldn't normally find yourself.
0: You know, are there, were there any sort of particular anecdotes that you would provide for one of those visits that you went to that was maybe outside your comfort zone or, or a usual networking area that you want to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, sure. The, you know, one I can definitely think of is going to um, a, sto- a historically black church. Um, You know, I am a a white woman who grew up in the Catholic faith. I um, am now Episcopalian, and I hadn't spent much time, um, you know, you know, in places of worship that were not, you know, my traditional uh, uh, place, and so going to a historically black church the church that i attended had a service that was done fully in dinka it was a south sudanese congregation that used our just used the physical place of our of our church um so i you know attended that service a couple of times even in a language that i didn't understand just to kind of get that sense and the way i was welcomed in both of those places and how excited people were to be able to share information across cultures like that was was really i thought um, um, very, you know, very transformative for me.
0: That's that had to be an amazing experience. So yeah. yeah, I applaud you for getting out and doing something that's it's different and yeah. learning about the community that way. Um, any final thoughts before I let you get back to your busy day?
1: <laughs> um, no, I think you know I think what you're doing here, Eric, is really fantastic. Um, you know, as this field evolves and changes. It's really hard to keep up with what's going on. And I found that I had when I was at a bigger community foundation, I actually had more time for some of that cross um, community foundation networking. And so your podcast I think is going to fill a gap, especially for a lot of the smaller and mid-sized community foundations like the one I'm at now, where it's it's pretty difficult to find ways for our staff to get that, um, you know, that that thing we all love about the magic sauce of this field.
0: Well, thank you. And I didn't pay her to say that, but uh, I appreciate the sentiment. And you know, it's it just comes from my passion, really wanting to share information and ideas. So I love to hear from from really smart people in the, in this community foundation space who actually can talk about some of the great things that they're doing. And you are truly one that I admire. And I really thank appreciate you. you for being with me and and joining me in the podcast today. Thank you very much, Jen.
1: Excellent. Thanks, Eric. Have a great day.
0: You too. Once again, I want to say thanks so much for Jennifer Owens uh, appearing on the podcast, the president and CEO of the Arlington Community Foundation, with some really unique and inventive programs. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining me on Emergent CF. Uh, please look to the website at Emergent Um, dot com where you can find some resources um, postings of some of the associations that others have mentioned as well as if you have an idea for a guest there's a contact form right there or you can reach out directly at emergencyf at gmail.com as always i really appreciate you all listening and this is emergency f